Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Will the economy dictate the election of the next U.S. president? Financial investment pro Ivan Elon chimes in. And Dr. Lauren Bennett, neuropsychologist from Hogue Hospital, talks about sports injuries during the all-important football playoffs leading up to the Super Bowl. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now. Here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by the Hogue Institutes. Hogue Family Cancer Institute, Hogue Digestive Health Institute, and Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute. Unparalleled expertise, world-class care, right here in OC. Happy New Year, ladies and gentlemen. It's Bruce Cook, and it's time for the conversation live tonight on Angels Radio and also on the Angels Radio app. Welcome. Welcome back. I'm happy to be back. I hope you are, too. We have a lot to discuss in the new year. And we're going to start out, when we say Happy New Year, we also say, and good health. And as my mom used to say when I was a kid, if you've got health, boy, you've got everything. Of course, I didn't pay much attention to that as a kid, but as you get older, you know the meaning is really important. So to everybody listening on Angels Radio, may this be a year of good health, plenty of happiness, lots of surprises. Biggest surprise, I think, of all is going to be our financial picture and how it how it impacts our major elections that are coming up. Economy is often the linchpin in an election year. It tends to matter more than just about anything else in a world that is always conflicted and crazy to one degree or another. We certainly are in that boat this year, 2024, but the economy still looms to be a large factor. It's strange, though. I don't know how many listeners paid attention to President Biden's speech this week on the uh, occasion or the eve of the occasion of the three-year anniversary of January 6th. It was a campaign speech. Most of it was about preserving the democracy of America, and of course it was anti-Trump. But he really didn't say that much about the economy, which surprised me personally, because the Biden, Biden uh, economy has been a major, a major uh, aspect of the campaign until now. But they seem to have backed off on that. Perhaps it's because as we ended the year 2024, things started to look better. The stock market did a very good job this year. Unemployment is at record lows. And there's lots of positive figures out there. Interest rate is starting to come down. Inflation is starting to meet wages. With all of that good news, you would think that President Biden and the Democratic Party would want to be pushing that more. We will find out. On that note, I want to open up the phone lines tonight. Our first half hour is going to be on the economy. And my very special and regular guest, uh, the founder of a investment uh, company, Ivan Elan, is going to be joining us momentarily. But before I bring him on, I want to open up the phone lines with a question. If you care to answer, if you care to participate with Ivan, who is an expert in finance and in all sorts of things related to the economy, 
this is your chance. My question is this. How do you feel about your personal economy? Are you stable? Is your job secure? Do you feel like your personal wealth is okay? Or are you worried? Are you on the edge? Is it good enough? Complicated question, but not so complicated. If you care to join me, the phone number, as most listeners know, 714-2-830-830. 714-2-830-830. Before I bring Ivan on, I want to say a special thank you to our sponsor for 2024. We have a new sponsor joining us. You heard it in the opening credits. It's the Hogue Institutes, ladies and gentlemen, at Hogue Hospital in Newport Beach and also in Irvine uh, in Orange County and at various locations around Orange County. The institutes are very, very, very special places where people with very specific needs find the help they need. So thank you to Hogue Institutes for supporting this show. It's really important to me personally because quality advertising raises the bar. And I want to be proud of the advertisers that support this show. I'm very proud of them and most appreciative. On that note, let's bring Ivan Ilan on. He is the founder and chief executive of Align Wealth Advisors Investment Management, headquartered in part in Los Angeles, Century City area, with offices around the country. He is a very educated man with a BA in economics and also a uh, master's degree in philosophy. Now there's a great combination for a talk show host. Ivan, are you there? I'm here, Bruce. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you very much. I understand that you wanted to go to the Chargers game today, but the traffic in Beverly Hills was so horrible you couldn't get out of your house. That's exactly right. And as we speak, I am actually staring out my window at the uh, uh, line of cars, limousines and beautiful, gorgeous cars. I mean, if you want to think there's anything wrong with the economy, just look out the window. And it looks like everything's absolutely fantastic. Well, Everyone's uh, you know, pulling up in the, in the finest uh, uh, vehicles you can imagine. Well, that's all great for me because I'm a car lover. I don't know about you, but <clears throat> it's yeah. a perfect – I didn't expect that statement, and it's the perfect way for me to segue into my question to start us off together. The inequity in our economy is so severe between rich, poor, and what's left of the middle class. How can it possibly – how can it possibly seem like our economy overall is stronger than it's been, even though I – made some statements at the beginning of the program that stock market's doing well, et cetera. A lot of people aren't feeling it. Yeah. Well, I, it makes total sense that a lot of people would not be feeling it because inflation disproportionately impacts the middle class, lower middle class, and even, frankly, upper middle class. So that, that's a very important thing. Uh, I think that a lot of economic data doesn't focus on which is that there is a disproportionate impact when, you know, the price of beef goes up and the price of eggs go up and milk and, you know, basic products, things like fuel as well. These things are uh, like taxes uh, on the consumer and, and certainly put a, a disproportionate burden on uh, the middle and lower class. How, do, how important will the economy be in this year's election? Where does it stand well, between war, war in the Middle yeah. East, immigration at the border? 
Where is the economy in all this? Are people going to vote with their pocketbook? I guess that's the question. They always do, Bruce. I mean, that's what history has taught us, and um, and history is good for something, is to reference it and, and see what's happened in times similar to ours. And, and the economy is always the number one issue. People always care about uh, what's in it for them, what's it, what's it going to be like into the future, who can really navigate economic conditions best. Do we uh, really reading something today about, you know, Trump? I mean, two thirds of Republicans believe Trump is the guy to best navigate the U.S. economy. And uh, and it's a distant second with Nikki Haley uh, at eight uh, percent. So it, it clearly is front of mind for the electorate. You know, your statement about two thirds of the Republicans feeling that <clears throat> Trump is the man to fix the economy. If I took. Uh, the devil's advocate position on the radio tonight and pointed out all of his financial failures and all of the things that went wrong in our national economy and the debt that rose to the pinnacle of of all pinnacles during his four-year period. How do you respond to that? Well, there's a couple of different things there. The first, I would say, is, you know, his personal wealth is still quite Great. He he is a billionaire. So for all the failures he may have had, uh, the guy's still worth more than a billion dollars. So so I certainly uh, you know look at him as having used the system to his advantage. Certainly he used the bankruptcy system to his advantage. I remember you know reading Art of the Deal when I was a kid, and one of the things that really struck me was you know this this uh, this syndicate of bankers. He got together in a room because he was going to default on something like $700 million of debt. And so all the bankers were furious to come and meet with him, and and he got them all, you know, to compromise and take less money and take less interest. And and that's what happens when you have a lot of debt, <laughs> you know. Well, you, you know what? Of, you know, set your terms. You know, it's different for the average folks. But, uh, you know, when you got that kind of debt, you can bring people to the table. It's actually not so different, I think. I think a lot of people that don't have a billion dollars have serious debt problems and they have learned that the system can help them in a, in a negotiating position if they if they handle it right maybe that's yeah. maybe yeah, that's no. why maybe that's why so many people so many Americans don't care about all the garbage don't care about all the the criminal lawsuits and everything they just feel they want this country fixed can you define that yeah. for me, in your in your opinion, at least from a financial point? What does fix the country mean? Well, I think it would mean that people could actually afford to buy a home. There um, you go. You know, <laughs> that would be a huge um, evolutionary step forward. You know, for for a citizen of this country who doesn't want to have to move to uh, you know a state uh, you know that has less people than you know, uh, a small town in California. I mean, it's, it's a, uh, it's a very real dynamic that we have in this, in this country, which is, it's very hard to be able to afford housing. But in a free market, um, a, in a free market economy, is it possible? Is it possible in, in LA, Orange County that we represent here tonight? Is it possible to fix that given what's happened and given the prices that we have and the huge population vying for space? Probably not, uh, actually. It's probably extremely difficult to fix. I, 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 would, I would imagine 
that, you know, if hunks of Malibu fall into the ocean, that's when you actually start to see some uh, relocation on a mass scale. People actually start to think, oh, you know, maybe there is erosion that's happening at the at the coastlines. And, you know, but uh, but yeah, we still have a tremendous amount of people that want to be here in California, and that obviously keeps prices high. You know, it's all about supply and demand at the end of the day. Like everything else. You know, you mentioned a natural disaster, the cliffs of Malibu Malibu sinking. And I have often, through very, very many periods of ups and downs in California real estate, there are three Ds in real estate in sales. Death, disaster, and divorce. You can pick which one you want. And that's what moves the market at times mm. when things are stagnant. And they are now very stagnant. They're Definitely. predicting, economically, I've been reading that it, the prediction is as interest rates slow. Apparently, we're now around 6.6. Do you think that's about right? For mortgage rates? Yeah, mortgage mean? rates. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I would say, um, historically, mortgage rates. Uh, are on average around eight percent. Um, so, so we're we're below at six six. Yeah. So if you know if, if, if folks think that you know that rates are high now, yes, of course they're high relative to you know a lot of people that refinance at two seventy five or three percent. And that was only wow. a few I years mean, ago. Yeah, and it's free money. I mean that the, that that's free money, and that's certainly a huge dynamic at play in the housing market, which is if you are going to sell something, you're, you're basically uh, going to have to buy something and mortgage something at a rate that's you know double what which you're is, used to paying. Which is why a lot of people are sitting on the fence. Anyway, right. what I was about to say is real estate experts are claiming that when that interest rate drops down in under six, maybe into the fives, probably not as low as four, but who knows, that the prices are going to go up even higher. Again, supply and demand, Mm -hmm. opportunity. How can they go any higher? Bernard Baruch said, the tree doesn't grow to the sky. But how is it possible that that everybody's home in Southern California is worth at least a million dollars to the sky's the limit? How is that possible? It's all about supply and demand, and so there just hasn't been enough housing that's been built in California relative to the amount of uh, people that are here that want to live here. And so it's a unique uh, situation that's in Southern California particularly, because if you look at San Francisco, prices there have been plummeting. And uh, and so that's a totally different, uh, you know, supply and demand uh, at play. And and so, yeah, uh, here in SoCal, we're very fortunate that uh, we happen to live where everyone else in the country apparently uh, would would like to be uh, still even though we've had tremendous numbers of people leave but i but i think the the numbers of people that have left are more representative of people who are in uh, you know maybe much uh, much wealthier people you know people that have tax incentive to really leave and um, but what and that does that do really to the state of Cal- what does that do to the state? It doesn't impact supply and demand. <clears throat> um, it, well, it definitely restricts the amount of money that the state can expect from tax revenue. I mean, and, when, when um, your big where your big earners and your corporate people take their multi million dollar salaries and go to Texas and wherever, it's got to yeah. make a difference. 
Well, and so New York, obviously the other big you know, state in the union, they're, they're running a deficit of about $6 billion. Well, in California, it's you know, about 10 times that. So, so it's a it's a huge huge problem here in California. Its tax receipts have. I mean, remember, just a couple of years ago, there was a huge surplus that the government was running, and that was basically eviscerated within 12 months. So, so uh, it's a nice thing when you have it, but but the state certainly did not uh, take advantage of running a surplus. They just spent all that money and much 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 more. My guest tonight, Ivan. Ilan, who is the chairman and founder of Align, Align Wealth Advisors Investment Management. Excuse me, I'm fighting a cold tonight. <clears throat> Ivan, you're back. I want to talk to you about strategy for investing in 2024. You manage investment portfolios, <laughs> portfolios for a very, very diverse group of people. Most of them are probably high net worth people. When they come to you, do they have a total concept of of what they want done, and and you take orders, or do you advise them? And if so, how do you approach that? Good question. Uh, we advise. Uh, we're actually an SEC registered investment advisor, so uh, we have a formal filing that uh, specifically uh, basically broadcasts that we do advise on investment management, asset allocation, um, and and it is fully discretionary. So when when we do uh, get money from our clients uh, to invest the assets, all of the burden of that discretion is on us. And, um, and so if we do a bad job, we're going to suffer the consequences of that. And if we do a good job, maybe, uh, maybe someone will notice and say, hey, good job. But... Uh, but, you know, it's a tough business, uh, managing money, that's for sure. Have the strategies changed a lot since the pandemic? Are there, are there well, steps yeah, yes. that, you, that, you have, that you have abandoned? For example, do you advise people, if they're buying stocks, do people tend to buy stocks that are dividend quality anymore, or is that old school and not done? What about tax-free bonds and, and all the different annuities that are out there? How do you, how do you know what to tell people? Well, um, I mean, when, when uh, people are entrusting us to make the decisions, and so our decisions are based on fundamentals of what's going on in the global macroeconomic environment. And that's just a fancy way of saying, is it easier for businesses to grow and operate, or is it more difficult? And fundamentally, that's the question uh, I think a, a good investor is always asking. Is the environment, is the economic environment more conducive to a business growth or less conducive? And so what's a basic function of business growth? Um, I would say it's their ability to finance that growth and finance their operations. And so right now we have an interest rate environment which has dramatically changed from what it looked like just a very short few years ago. I mean, literally less than two years ago, we had interest rates that were you know, at 0% for the Fed funds rate. So now it's at 5.3%. So this is a colossal move that impacts the cost of businesses to borrow. And, you know, generally speaking, it takes like two years before you see the full impact show up in, in the economy. And so guess what? We are actually 
just coming up on that two-year mark in March of this year. And so uh, two years since when the uh, Federal Reserve began hiking interest rates. So it's a very precarious time, I think, for businesses. So what do you tell your client? Hold off? Well, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I would say that um, you have to be very, very uh, clear about where you are investing in the U.S. stock market. And so if uh, you're investing in the S&P 500, for example, just the basic, very popular index, most people should know that last year the S&P 500 was up some beautiful, you know, amount, uh, you know, 20-some-odd percent. Yeah, I read it was 24%. That's a very substantial upswing. It, what, it do you, what do you attribute that like to? We had a great, it sounds like we had a great stock market year last year as a result of it. But guess what, Bruce? Only seven out of 500 companies drove that return. Uh, basically, 90% of that return last year was driven by seven companies out of 500. So that's so, your job, so to make sure you know what seven companies are, are doing so that the client can be invested in the right, in the right place. Well, or to make sure that they, they that they're not the last one getting off the boat if that right. ride is over, right? And 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 so that may be more of of the uh, of the situation that we're in today. With certainly prices and values of those very few companies have gone to just unbelievable astronomical levels, and that, from our perspective, is just not something that's sustainable or even justifiable based on their earnings growth and other fundamental factors. Is there one company you could single out and tell the audience why you think it did so well? Well, NVIDIA would probably be the most uh, popular story that a lot of folks heard about, and if they didn't hear about NVIDIA specifically, they heard about AI or artificial intelligence. And so there was a huge amount of euphoria that swept through the stock market earlier this year because AI was going to revolutionize everything. And then there were these few companies that really have a lot of AI product or services in development. And so uh, NVIDIA makes the semiconductors, you know, that are uh, essentially um, required for the development of AI and, and, uh, and the expansion of AI throughout industries. And so its stock was up, you know, hundreds of percents. I mean, it was just a, a, unbelievable, um, you know, what, what, the, the, what they say, to the moon, you know, kind of experience. But the earnings certainly are not there to support today's valuations. And there's a huge amount of growth that would need to be attained in order to justify the current valuations. So it's just a good example of how euphoria and uh, and that kind of really positive, almost delirious excitement for a particular company can just send prices way, 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 way up. And then, um, you know, usually it, it, it finds its way down to a more reasonable level. So it's a question of when you get in and when you get out. And that is the age-old question. Yeah. Buy low, sell high. Repeat. <laughs> That is the secret to making money in the capital markets. There you go. That's America. There we are. In our last couple of minutes together, talk about the NASDAQ and its roller coaster. It did well this year overall also, but there were some really low lows. Yeah, over the past three years, it's it's been a tremendous roller coaster. It really has 
hasn't gone much of anywhere. Um, I mean, this year was a huge, did phenomenally better than the S&P 500. But the NASDAQ is more concentrated in technology companies. And so when that AI um, enthusiasm and euphoria sweeping through the markets, it happens to impact more positively NASDAQ-type companies because it is focused more in, in the tech sector. And so it disproportionately experienced that upside growth, uh, which, you know, from, from my standpoint and, and certainly for the, the monies that we're managing for our clients, that's way too rich for us, and, and we're certainly significantly underweight to the tech sector relative to the benchmark. And we're, we're very happy with that. You know, I, I like to sleep at night. I, I really need my sleep. Uh, I don't like to lose sleep. And so part of that means uh, making sure we own things in our client portfolios that don't uh, really um, impact that. And I would be very nervous to have those exposures at this point. You're a wise man, sir. A very wise man. <laughs> Listen, <clears throat> give us your prognostication for 2024. Are you bullish? Are you skittish? Where do you stand? I'm more on the skittish side, Bruce, um, and, and I think it's mostly because of of this uh, this real sort of two-year time frame that historically is when you see the full impact of, of central bankers' activities. And so this huge rate hike cycle consumers, businesses, everyone's been kind of finding a way to adjust to these higher interest rates, but usually it's around that two-year mark that we see historically that, that it starts to really be digested uh, in, in with consumers and businesses, and that means uh, having to pay the piper a little bit. So based on that, I would project that we are in for some surprises as the year moves on, and especially how it relates to our national election. On that note, please tell us how our audience could reach you if they so choose. Sure. You can go to our website at www.alignwealth.com. That's A-L-I-G-N-E, wealth.com. Or give us a call at 310-795-0622. 310-795-0622. Ivan, Atla- Ivan Elaine, it has been a pleasure having you on tonight. Thank you so much for coming back on a regular basis. We appreciate your wisdom Absolutely. and your thoughtfulness. Happy New Year to you. Go to your Thank window you. and look at all those fancy cars and enjoy the rest yeah. of the night. And you can turn on the Golden Globes. Yes. Thank you, Bruce. Okay. We are switching gears from the economy to our health, and I'm going to introduce you to Lauren Bennett. Dr. Bennett is the author of numerous publications on cognitive function in various neurodegenerative diseases and the long-term cognitive effects of of repetitive head impact in sports. This is Super Super Bowl season, people. It's football season for closing in the schools, all the playoffs. Sports are such a big part of our lives It has been an issue that has been debated and discussed very seriously the last few years. And Dr. Bennett is also a person who is very, very knowledgeable about it as she has served on committees with the National Football League, Players Association, and others. In addition to that, her expertise covers the neuroscience aspect of of sports in, in our 
uh, in our lives, uh, for our families and, and young children. And we have a lot to talk about tonight on AMA 30. So welcome, Lauren. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. I'm wonderful. I should share with the audience that you have been on the show before, and we are delighted to have you back. Talk Thank to me. You. Talk to me about uh, what your practice is seeing at this time of year, given what's happening in the explosion of youth sports all over. Sure, sure. Well, it's always a busy time for us in the fall and heading into the winter as folks are busy in their sports. So certainly we do see a fair number of mild traumatic brain injuries, or what we would think of as concussions in the context of sports-related injuries. And then, of course, just other kinds of slip and falls, motor vehicle accidents, all of the various ways that folks can sustain a head injury. Head injuries are not well understood by the public. They either, people will tend to panic or they will not recognize the problems and let it go until it becomes a problem. How do you deal with that? Absolutely. You bring up a really excellent point that there's a wide range in terms of the extent of the injury. We want to encourage folks to be cautious when they've had an injury, but not to panic. So it's always a good idea to go to a primary care provider, an urgent care, or the emergency department, whatever might make the most sense for your situation, to get a thorough evaluation. Generally, that will include a neurological exam to see how your cranial nerves are functioning. And then if indicated, it might also include some imaging, like a CT scan or even an MRI scan that can let us know if there's been a bleed of any kind that we need to be concerned about or if there's been any kind of skull fracture. We're particularly concerned about those kinds of factors in our very young children and our very older population who might particularly be on blood thinners or have other comorbidities. Would most emergency centers, pardon me, I'm fighting a cold, Lauren, (coughs) excuse me, would most emergency medical centers be able to do that kind of evaluation? So certainly if they're not equipped to do that on site, they'll make a referral to a facility who is. But many urgent cares in the area are equipped with a CT scanner. Talk about Hogue. Yes, I'd love to. Any chance I get. So, of course, Hogue has two main hospital campuses, one in Irvine and one in Newport Beach, both of which have round-the-clock emergency care available. They also have a number of urgent care facilities throughout the uh, the county and then 26 outpatient uh, care centers for primary care as well. So a number of various options depending on the public needs. How did you come to work at Hogue Hospital? Ah, that's a great story, actually. So I was recruited, if you will, by our dear colleague and friend, Dr. Michael Brant-Zelaski, who I think the world of. And As so do he, I. <laughs> he is uh, he's quite convincing when he uh, is out to get something, as you know. Uh, and so he and I came into contact. I was with Cleveland Clinic in Las Vegas at the time, and uh, they had some opportunities coming up at Hogue, and he convinced me to make the move. What is your main focus? And... What is the main passion behind this career path for you? Sure. I'm really fortunate. I got to do my fellowship, and in our field, we have a two-year postdoctoral fellowship. And mine was a really unique hybrid of neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's disease, vascular dementia, Parkinson's, MS, and other conditions, and sports neuropsychology. And really the intersection of those two conditions, right? So the the developing field in terms of what we think of when we think about chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is kind of now under that umbrella of neurodegeneration. 
So I was really fortunate to get to do my fellowship uh, that spanned both of those fields and get really in-depth training in both neurogenitive with our older adult population and working then with sports teams. So I was at the Cleveland Clinic in Las Vegas, which I know is a little odd to have a Cleveland Clinic in Vegas, but it's pretty cool. Um, And there we had an opportunity to support a number of the teams in the area. And that was a big time for when uh, sports was getting much more uh, uh, traction and press and really wonderful new teams coming to the area in Vegas. It was an exciting time to be a part of those uh, medical teams caring for those those athletes. What is the intersection or the interaction between those two seemingly separate pursuits? Sure. So we're still doing a lot of research in terms of our understanding of chronic traumatic encephalopathy. But what we have come to understand is that the the hallmark of the pathology of that condition, fancy word there for what's actually causing it, is actually tau. And tau tingles are the same thing that causes many of the symptoms we think of in Alzheimer's disease. So in Alzheimer's disease, there's two main patho hallmarks there. That's tau fibrillary tingles and beta amyloid plaques. And so both Alzheimer's disease and chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE, share tau as one of their key pathogens that's causing the disease process. Explain explain the word tau, please. Absolutely. So tau is a protein that occurs in all of us. So as we sit here right now, we are folding tau proteins in our brain. And for some reason, as we age, those proteins where they get folded, they start to misfold in the incorrect location. They get snipped in the wrong spot. And those fragments of those tau fibrillary proteins build up over time and cause clumps. And once those soluble clumps are um, to the point where they're large enough, they're going to impact our brain functioning and unfortunately start to impact them in terms of causing neurons or brain cells to die. How Same does thing happen? Oh, I'm sorry. How does a uh, a clinician or a physician uh, find a tau problem? Yes, great question. So we are fortunate now that we have advanced imaging techniques. So an MRI, for example, um, that is one type of imaging you might be familiar with. We also have what's called a PET scan. That PET scan, there are different types of injectable tracers that bind to different stuff, substances within our brain and bodies. And so one of the tracers that we have available to us can actually bind to tau. I should mention that this type of PET scan is only available at a research level and hasn't yet been cleared for commercial use by the FDA. Um, but there are research trials of this tracer that can be useful in helping to identify uh, tau in the brain. The Alzheimer's has been widely talked about in the last few years. People are coming to terms with understanding it better. How has that happened? Why has it become such a major big deal? Does it have to do with the fact that we're diagnosing more people that are suffering from it? I mean, how come now and not 20 or 30 or 50 years ago? Absolutely. I think it's a really good intersection of multiple factors, the main one of which is what's called the silver tsunami. You may have heard this term, or your listeners may have heard this term before, but essentially, as the baby boomers age, we have a staggering number of individuals that are going to come into the 65-plus cohort over the next 20 years. 
And with that uh, population aging into that range, there's going to be just an incredible increase in the amount of individuals diagnosed with any kind of dementia. So Alzheimer's is one form of dementia, the most infamous and most common form of dementia. And so essentially our healthcare system and our country is not set up and not prepared to take on the incredible burden of caring for the individuals who will have these diagnoses. And not to mention, you know, I always say that we don't diagnose an individual with Alzheimer's, but rather it's a family diagnosis. This is a, a marathon diagnosis that's got to be faced by the whole family. That's a very good point. It's a whole other show, actually. Do you think it's let – me, let me rephrase what I was sort of getting at. Do you think it's because the population explosion of uh, <clears throat> the baby boomer generation was so much larger – in number than previous generations, that that is the reason? Or is there a lifestyle component to this that this generation post-World War II, through stress, through drug and alcohol, through whatever, is more prone to dementia as they age? Actually, the opposite. It's actually that folks are living longer. So we're paying more attention to our health. So we're not dying of a heart attack or coronary artery disease in our 50s or 60s, which is the great news. Unfortunately, we're living longer. And if we live long enough, all of us will develop Alzheimer's. That's, that's I think you just effect. scared the entire listening audience. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, goodness. <laughs> all of us are going to have Alzheimer's. Did you hear that? You heard it first here on Bruce Cook Conversation with Dr. Lauren Bennett. All of us are going to develop Alzheimer's if we live long enough. Yep, that is the unfortunate truth, is that our brains were not designed to go on forever. So well, since you're only about 30 years old, you've got a long time to go to solve these problems. Why, thank you. I'll do my best. Anyway, at least you're, you're, you look like you're very young, even though you're quite, I'll, I'll a, quite accomplished. I'm going to brag about you. You're very accomplished. <laughs> and I'm so proud to have Dr. Lauren Bennett with me tonight to talk about sports injuries. And we're going to dive into... What's happening in the pros, especially the NFL, as she is very much involved with all that has been going on in terms of protecting players. So, Dr. Bennett, come back and talk to us about what's happening. Absolutely. Well, I think there's been a really wonderful increased attention to the importance of brain health. And I think that the NFL has done an exceptional job of recognizing that and starting to um, really encourage both players that are active and retired take every possible opportunity to optimize their cognitive health and well-being, both, again, during their playing days and well beyond. What was the impetus to really bring this to the forefront? It was not discussed that many years ago at all. Sure. I feel like as our knowledge of, of the extent of the injuries and the importance of taking care of our cognitive health, you know, I can't tell you how many of the guys that I work with have said to me, you know, when I, I asked them about diagnosed concussions throughout their play, and oftentimes the conversation goes, well, we didn't really know what that was, right? It's just getting your bell rung, and you kind of walked it off, they gave you some smelling salts, and you got back on the field. And obviously, we, we look at the evolution of football across time and just how much more sophisticated we've gotten in terms of our understanding of concussions and what is a head injury and what are we looking at and how do we best protect these players and athletes well beyond their football days in terms of ensuring their quality of life and cognitive health beyond. There has been controversy about this with retired players finding that in their middle ages that 
damage uh, allegedly from the game and from head injury had surfaced later on. And the controversy has been from those that say, well, it may have, but there's no real way to prove it. How do we deal with that? Where does all that stand? It, it isn't rampant, but it, we hear about this from time to time. Yes, and I'm very excited that we are having these conversations. There's been exceptional work done in the last few years in particular. There's been a push to identify and come to a consensus regarding what the diagnostic criteria for chronic traumatic encephalopathy is and the syndrome associated with that, which is called traumatic encephalopathy syndrome, or TES. And so there's been an exceptional group of um, world-class experts, more than 20 clinician scientists, from 11 of the top-tier academic institutions in the country who've gotten together and published in 2021 a working diagnostic criteria for understanding CTE. They've really moved the field forward in terms of um, what we can expect to better understand in the coming years and, and the research that's still yet to be done. Would you say that the NFL is very pro that research in trying to find these answers to protect their players? I think, of course, there's a tension there that we want, um, as someone who has the privilege of working with retired athletes, my highest priority is in terms of their cognitive health, their quality of life, and that of their families. And so certainly, you know, unfortunately, risk of neurodegeneration in general is increased with repetitive head injury. So your risk for Alzheimer's, your risk for Parkinson's, all of those neurodegenerative conditions that does increase with repetitive head injuries. That is unfortunately um, often the case in folks who've played contact sports. It's always the case in folks who've played combat sports like boxers or MMA fighters because that's the goal of those sports and that outcome. And so, of course, with any of those um, athletes, we are going to see an increased risk for all of the neurodegenerative conditions. And then we as a field are still really coming to understand you know, there's something different about this possible cluster of symptoms that we've come to identify as CTE. What is it? How do we diagnose it? And then how can we treat it in terms of what's going to be best for these athletes and their families? Talk a bit about treatment at this point. What kind of treatment is offered? Sure. So oftentimes it comes down to addressing the symptoms of what's going on. So there can be clusters of symptoms like sleep disturbances, mood changes, behavioral changes, and it may be that there's something going on as we better increase our understanding of what CT is. We may come to understand exactly what's going on in the years coming. But for now, you know, many of these factors are treatable. We have wonderful protocols to treat sleep difficulties. We have exceptional interventions available for mood changes, behavioral changes. And so I always encourage our athletes to think about what's going on on the symptom level and to really think of these different factors as manageable, treatable, and modifiable so that we don't lose hope in terms of what might be, um, again, impacting their quality of life day to day. Let's talk about high school and college athletes, the dangers they faced. How is it different? Sure. So, of course, the velocity of impact changes as the size of the athletes change. So with regards to football or other contact sports, that's always a factor to consider. So when folks ask about peewee football, we're having a very different conversation in terms of the velocity of impact versus what we know is on the field at the later college and professional levels. Um, but it is, a, it is absolutely a risk, and the risk can vary depending on playing position and other factors, but it certainly is something to be calculated. 
What I will say is we know from the research that our NFL players have a lower incidence rate of those neurodegenerative conditions like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's in the general public. So there does seem to be quite a bit of benefit from a cardiovascular perspective, from an overall health perspective, to engaging in uh, athletics throughout your life. And those uh, benefits do seem to, in some opinions, kind of contradict or outweigh these other risk factors. Dr. Bennett, we are just about out of time. How does somebody reach you? Sure. So if you have a question about your cognitive health or potentially a concern about a concussion, you can reach our office at area code 949-336-8150. 949-336-8150. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Bennett, thank you so much for your wisdom and your information tonight. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We're out of time, everybody. So good to be with you back on Angels Radio tonight as we begin our journey in 2024, as we close our show tonight, our broadcast tonight. Again, happy, healthy New Year, one and all. Take care of yourselves. Stay in tune. Stay in touch. And make sure you come back to the conversation every Sunday night at 6 o'clock. Good night. You've been listening to The Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear The Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public.